You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tony Meyer. For more information on other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad that you decided to come. My name is Tony. If I, um, if you don't know me, um, and um, man, I'm so sorry. Uh, we. I'm really excited for this evening. I'm not really going to talk for very long, just a, a couple minutes here, because uh, I believe what we all came here to do is just spend time with the Lord. And uh, I can think, I, I think these Sunday night services are just so special. I can think back of many times in my life where on a Sunday night service where you just kind of get away um, and take time and just spend time among friends and family, just praying and seeking the Lord that God really showed up in my life. And so I think it's amazing. Uh, that you would come and, and, and give of your time and energy to, to be here tonight. And, uh, you know, God is really moving among us. I don't know if you feel it. I feel like I'm a broken record. I'm constantly saying it. It's not just like hype. It's not because it's like what you should say, but there's really something happening. And, uh, and, and specifically here, and I want you to know it's not because we believe at LifePoint we have the corner on truth and everybody else is getting it wrong and we have it right, but I believe that God is looking for yielded ones. Those who would just say, God, whatever you want, I want that. His word says that his eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are wholly his. And I believe that as we collectively together as a, a family surrender our hearts and our, our lives to the Lord, God just says, okay, they're, they're really taking this seriously. I'm going to move among them. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight because um, I want to talk about uh, fostering an attitude of expectancy in our relationship with the Lord. And even over the last... Uh, few months, God has really been challenging me on this. Just today, my, my wife shared with me a testimony. She, uh, a couple weeks ago, had a dream uh, about a guy, and that was in our small group about nine years ago. And uh, she's, hopefully, he's not a guy that she dreams about a lot. <laughs> but, um, but she had a dream that she was talking with Tanya, and in, in the dream, Tanya said to her, Man, I'm so excited to read, uh, his name is Tate, I'm so excited to read Tate's new book. And she woke up, and she had been asking the Lord, God, give me dreams, give, speak to my heart in different ways. And, um, and so like a lot of us do, we, we kind of sit on things. We ask God to do something, and then he does it. We're like, no. <laughs> and she sat on it for a while. Um, and then recently, just this last week, uh, Tate got his ministry credentials with the Assemblies of God and pursuing ministry on his life. And so finally she texted him, uh, or not texted him, but Facebook messaged him yesterday or this morning, and he and basically said, I had this dream uh, that you wrote a book, and we were really excited to read it, just told him a dream, and he messaged her back, and it's like, this is, this is insane. The last couple months, I feel like God has been stirring on my heart to, to write a book, <laughs> but I've always just been like, what, what would I have to say? What, why would anyone want to read a book that I have to write? <laughs> and uh, he's like, this is just confirmation that I need to do that, and this is someone that was in our small group nine years ago, right? And so when we have this expectancy for God to move, he, he just, he does it. He does it. There's this phrase that we see throughout Scripture that is, um, I'm waiting on the Lord. I wait on the Lord. And it doesn't mean like we're just sitting around waiting for him to show up. Is he going to come? I don't know if he's going to show up or what's going to happen. Is he, where is he? It's not like that. It's like, it's like an anticipation um, for God. It's like this. It's like if somebody special, someone, someone special in your life was going to share something with you. Um, but like with me, my wife and I, sometimes she wants to share something and she just wants to collect her thoughts. And so we just kind of wait. And there's like this waiting that happens, this anticipation of like, I know she's going to say something and it's going to be important, uh, and I got I to make sure I listen. Um, 
But there's this anticipation that builds as you wait. And it's not like a waiting, like, hurry up, come on, come on, come on, but like a waiting that something important is about to happen. And there's this phrase that comes that, like, in God's presence, as we wait on him, our, expect, our expectations, our expectancy, uh, it, it gets heightened. And, you know, I don't, I don't know when it happens in our life as adults, but, you know, maybe we experience disappointment or God didn't show up at a time in our life when we, we hoped he would or in a way that we thought he would or people in your life disappoint you or maybe the church disappoints us and something happens and we, we lose that childlikeness to believe God for the impossible. We lower our standards and we stop asking God for the really big things. You know, that's one of the things that Jesus loves about kids is that, that they never, they don't lose that, they have that sense of awe and wonder that anything is possible. And as we grow and we walk and we mature with the Lord, it's like this paradox that we live in, that we grow in maturity, but we also grow in dependence on the Lord. We don't grow in independence. We grow in dependence on the Lord. With this, and this, there's this childlike wonder that, that continues to, to cultivate in our heart. You know, my daughter, she believes in unicorns, and don't tell her that they're not real, okay? She believes in unicorns, and so like, uh, when we lived in Iowa City, we had a long drive to school, and she would say, someday she would say, Dad, Maybe we'll see a unicorn today. And I'd say, well, I don't think we probably will. We're probably not going to see one. Or we had these friends that lived out in Washington, and she's like, I bet, they, I bet if we went out there, we went to the zoo, they have unicorns at their zoo. And I'd say, well, I don't, I don't think so. And she always had this response, and it made me laugh, but it was so, it's so beautiful. She would say, but maybe. <laughs> but maybe, Dad. And I would say, well, I guess I can't, I've never been on every square foot of this, this world. I don't know that unicorns absolutely with complete certainty don't exist, but just maybe. And I wonder in our lives if we could have that sense of maybe God, maybe just maybe. Maybe God would move in my life. Maybe God would move in this situation. Maybe God, maybe just maybe God would heal this cancer. And just even that, that small amount of belief, I believe God can even work with that. There's this Leonard Ravenhill quote that I love so much that he says, someday someone's going to pick up this book and they're going to believe it and it's going to put us all to shame. And I believe that God is calling us to a church, to this place of God, we are expecting you to move. We're expecting you to heal bodies. We're expecting you to restore marriages and families. We're expecting you to bring, bring, bring prodigals home. Not like we're expecting God, like you better do it, but like that's, that's his desire. Like he wants to do that already. And so we have this expectancy, this faith that rises up that this is who God is and this is what he wants to do. And tonight we're going to be in Matthew 14. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to there. This is a story that many of us have heard uh, in our lives, or if you grew up in Sunday school, you, this was a, you know, this one and Zacchaeus were a big one for Sunday school teachers. This is the story of, of Jesus coming to the disciples and walking on water. And, um, but I think it gives us a, such a, an amazing, clear picture of the human condition. Sometimes these radical shifts that take place of great faith and great doubt, great expectancy and, and great hesitation. Um, because we see the disciples really operating in all of these. But really this story starts with the feeding of the 5,000, which happens just right before um, verse 22. Jesus the, is ministering, and, and you know the story, there's, there's 
5,000, and actually it's more than that because they're just counting the men, so it's probably like 15,000 people there. And uh, they're all hungry. And so Jesus feeds them. And I know Jesus spoke many parables, right? He tells us a parable about uh, uh, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go, to go find the one. And so he tells parable, but Jesus also lived parables. He was a walking parable. And so he didn't just tell us about a good shepherd. He showed us also what a good shepherd was. He showed us what it was that for people to be in want, 15,000 people to be in want, and to lead them and, and make them lie down in greed pastures and feed them. He showed them what it was to be tossed to and fro in the sea and to come out and rescue you. He was also, not just by the words that he said, but by the way that he lived his life, we can see the fullness of the character of God. So he feeds his, the, the, all these people, and it's an amazing miracle. And I, I love kind of, uh, sometimes when you read about the disciples, doesn't it seem kind of just like a comic strip? You read about the hijinks of those rascal disciples. What are they going to do this week? And then they're just kind of along for the ride a lot of times. They're like, I just don't even know what's, what is happening, you know? Their, whole mind, their minds are just consistently, constantly being blown. And so I love how Jesus is, he kind of herds them. So this story happens in, in Matthew 14. It also happens in Mark 6 and John 6. In the John 6 account, it says that the people, when, when Jesus performed this miracle, the people were going to physically seize Jesus and make them hit their king. So Jesus perceived this, and, and in verse 22, um, take note of this word immediately. It happens often. This, this, this portion of scripture also speaks very, um, very um, specifically about God's timing. In verse 22, it says this, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. And while he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I'll stop there for now. So Jesus, he, he acts very quickly and herds the disciples into a boat and said, I'll meet you over on the other side. Go, go. It's about a four-mile Four-mile boat ride across to the other side. And we don't know what kind of, you know, he talks the crowd down and sends them away. And then he goes up like he does many times throughout the Gospels. He goes up into this place of prayer. But Jesus isn't just leaving the disciples to fend for themselves. In the, in the, in the Mark 6 account, it says that Jesus could see them. He was up on the hill praying, but he was also watching them. And as the, 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 the winds rose around and the waves started to, to get high, Jesus was watching. And he wasn't far away. So we see Jesus uh, act in this immediacy. But then now it's evening. And he, by the time he gets up on the hill to pray, and it says that he doesn't leave that place until the fourth watch, which is like three or four in the morning. So Jesus sees him struggling in the wind. They're getting mi blown miles off course. And Jesus is, is watching and it kind of seems like that seems so mean, Jesus. It seems like you're kind of being spiteful and like almost laughing to yourself. But, you know, and we don't, we don't, we don't know, uh, know why. We don't get to see why from this scripture what Jesus was trying to teach them. But Jesus was trying to show them. And I think there's many times in our life we're looking for God to speak something to us when God's actually trying to show us something. And here there's something that Jesus is trying to show them. And he's not far away. And for these disciples, man, they thought this is going to be an easy boat ride. They're, they're, 
They're not novice sailors. There's going to be an easy, easy trip across the Sea of Galilee, about four miles, and all of a sudden the winds rise up around and they get blown terribly off course. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you say, God, this wasn't the plan? What happened? How did we get here? How did I get here? Where were you? I want you to know that Jesus was not unaware of your situation. He's not unaware of your situation. He's not far away. He's not far away. In some of those moments, like I love it when God speaks to me and speaks a word that changes uh, the trajectory of my life, but there's other times where God is trying to show me something. And so then on the fourth watch, about three or four in the morning, Jesus comes walking to them on the sea. And in verse 26, it says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Another translation says they were terrified. They were, more, they were like frozen with fear, and they thought, It's a ghost. It's a ghost. The thing to remember here is the lack of the disciples is not in the fact that they believed in ghosts. I mean, they'd sailed that, I'm sure they've sailed that route many times, but and they'd heard legends of, uh, you know, ghosts and apparitions appearing to people. It wasn't the fact that they believed in ghosts, it was that they thought so little of Jesus. And, I, you know, I'm guilty of this in my own life, that we, we miss out on opportunities for God to use us. We miss out on opportunities to see God do amazing things because we have all these reasons why he wouldn't or why he couldn't. And sometimes we dog on the disciples. <laughs> we think if I was them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done what they did, but most of us would have responded in the same way. And in verse 27, it says this. There's that word again. But immediately Jesus spoke spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, don't go faint, don't go weary, don't give up. It is I, don't be afraid. Imagine how loud it must have been with the wind blowing, with the, the noises of the boats, with the waves crashing around them. It must have been lo- loud. And so Jesus would have had to speak with such authority, such volume over the waves And he wasn't just saying, hey, don't worry, guys, here I am, it's me, Jesus. The word there, uh, when he says, it is I, it literally translates, I am. I am, that I am, that I am. It is I am. So you don't have to be afraid, because I am is here. The great I am, who formed the foundations of this planet and can shake them still today. The one who can calm any storm in our life and heal and restore anything in our life is here. I am is here. And Peter's response is what all of our response should be. It's to walk out and step out into the impossible, into the miraculous. Because Peter does this. He says, and and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. It actually literally translates, uh, it sounds in the way that it's translated there that it's like, Jesus, if it's really you, but the way it's actually translated is Peter was completely convinced. He's, and it's, since it's you, Jesus, since it's you, call me out on the water. And that should be our response. When God reveals himself to us, when we see God for who he really is, that should be our natural response to step out into the miraculous, step out into the impossible, to go where no one else is willing to go with God. And so then he waits. He asks and then he waits. And Jesus just simply says, come. And when Peter come down out of the boat, 
he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was very strong, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. I wonder if Peter thought as soon as he got out of the boat that the, the winds were going to die down, that the sea was going to smooth out and be calm. It was going to be smooth sailing, and it was just going to be like the sun was going to, I guess it was night. The moon was going to come out. We're going to see. It's going to just be amazing. But even though Peter or Jesus called him out into the impossible, into the miraculous, the storm didn't cease, the winds didn't cease, the waves didn't cease. And it's actually a greater testimony that he would walk on the waves and with the wind than it would be a calm. I mean, it's amazing either way. But Peter's not like any one of us that when we, Jesus calls us out in the miraculous, maybe we step out and things didn't go as planned or like we, they, we thought they would. And we begin to look around us and we say the wind is still really, really strong and this is a really scary situation and the waves are still crashing around me. And he begins to sink and his expectancy sinks with him because no longer is he worried about walking on water but what he's worried about is his life. Jesus, just save me. Just help me to get my head above water. And I don't know about you, but in my life I've done the same thing where I've had these big grandiose plans and I've had these great things that God has called me to and things don't go as I plan and I say, well, God, just get my head above water. And Jesus says, I don't want to get, save you. I want you to walk on the water because that's what happens, again, is Jesus reaches down and says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and says, oh, you little faith. And when they got back to the boat, the wind ceased. One thing I think we skip over in the story, again, is that Peter also, again, walked on the water because Jesus helped him up, and then they walked together on the water. And they walked back to the boat together. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to just save you. I don't want to just drag you through the water with your head barely above it. I want you to walk on water right next to me, with me. And when they got in the boat, the storm finally ceased. So then this is the first time that we see in Scripture up to this point where the disciples said, truly, you are the Son of God. And in verse 34, they came to this place that was uh, Gennesaret, and it was, um, it was not where they were planning to go. It was miles, miles south of where they were planning on going. But it was actually this plan that was, uh, this, or this place that was rich with, um, rich with fruit. It was like this oasis, and there was many people there that Jesus ministered to and healed. And it wasn't the plan, but it was right where they were supposed to be. And sometimes there's these storms in life that will blow us. If we allow them to, God will, allow, will blow us to the place where we're actually supposed to be. It might not be where we planned, but it's where we're supposed to be. And tonight, what I really, really want, and we're going to come to the front, we're just going to seek the Lord, is in God's presence, when he reveals himself to us, Our natural response should be, God, anything is possible with you. So I'm just going to wait here with you. I'm just going to wait here for you. And in this place, I'm going to be strengthened. And I'm, I'm, courage is going to rise up in me. I've been in this place since Psalm 27 about the last month or so. And God, it's a, been a common solve in my life. But just recently, God's been taking me back to this place. And it's all about just waiting in God's presence. And we don't have any really indication of what part of David's life this psalm was written. But... In verse 4, in Psalm 27, it says this, One thing I desire of the Lord 
that I will seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He shall set, uh, set me on high on a rock, and my head will be lifted up, up above all the enemies around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy, and I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Hear my voice. Have mercy on me. When you said, seek my face, his face represents God's presence. When you said, seek my presence, my heart said to you, seek your, your presence, O Lord, I will seek He speaks of this, this longing in his heart that I believe that all of us have. It's just like, God, I just want to know you more. I just want, I want, to, I want to just be in your presence. I want to be wherever you are. If you're way out on the stormy sea, that's where I want to be, Jesus. If you're, if you're in the midst of a multitude of people, that's where I want to be. Wherever you are, Jesus, that's what I want. He says, later on, he says in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on the smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such breathe out violence. But I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The here and now, the right now. It's not just for a future. The goodness of God in the land of the living, the here and now. So wait on the Lord and take courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. And I believe that as a church, there's this, this love that God has been calling us to be lovers of his presence. And it's in that place where we, we seek God's presence. We, we're there with him that our expect, expectancy is heightened. And, and it comes to a place where we're like, God, we believe you for the impossible, that you truly can change the city of Ames, that every single person that lives in this area or this region can experience the touch of God upon their life. It's not impossible. And it's in his presence that, that we find that resolve. And so one day I was meditating on that, and I just began to sing this song. And we sang it this morning, and we're going to sing it again tonight. But Lord, in your presence, in your presence, it's where we find freedom. It's in his presence that the, the darkness has to go. It's in his presence that he speaks new life over us. So we're just going to wait here. We're not going to be quick to leave his presence. In God's presence, disease has to flee. It has to leave. Depression and anxiety. And we are talking as a staff this week about depression and anxiety. And, you know, the life expectancy in our nation has decreased because suicide rates have increased so much. There's this great loneliness that has taken over. But we all know the answer. It's Jesus. And he's chosen the vehicle of his church to represent him on this earth. So I don't know about you, but I want to be equipped. And where we get equipped is in his presence. For the Monday through Saturday. So if you would, would you stand? And actually, would you just come and populate this area up here? And we're just... God's singing a new song, and I believe that there's certain seasons that God gives us songs to sing that are unique to uh, our family, our church family. And we have about 15 minutes before the, the kids come up, and it's awesome when they're here too, but it's amazing that we can 
just come now and just kind of sit in his presence. And we're going to sing this song again in a moment, but I want us to pray. I want us to maybe repent of disbelief, unbelief. God, tonight we just come and we just say, Lord, we're expecting you to do the impossible because it's what you desire, Lord. That each one of us would walk in power and authority and truth every single day of our life. Lord, we just repent of our unbelief. Like Pastor Drew said this morning, unbelief doesn't keep the power of God away, but it keeps us in a place of stagnancy. It keeps us in a place of being paralyzed. But God, we just want to be people of your presence, people who just long to know you, long to love you, long to be known by you, God. So tonight, Father, as we worship, as we pray, I pray in Jesus' name tonight that you would just speak such a clear word, Lord, to each person here. I pray for those who need healing. I pray just even sovereignly now as we just, uh, as we just pray and worship, God, we pray for healings to happen in Jesus' name. We just ask for more, God. We ask for more, Lord. We just, we need a move. We need a move, God. We're so tired of like church strategy and just trying to find new ways of, of, of doing things. But God, we just need your presence, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you to come where there's no denying that it's you moving, Holy Spirit. So would you just come, Jesus? Just come. We're waiting, Lord. We're just waiting on for you, for you with anticipation. God, touch every single life here. Minister to every need here tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're gonna just, we're just gonna, like normally on Sunday, we're just gonna pray. And if you want prayer specifically, find someone to pray with you. And we're just gonna, we're gonna go through this song here.
This week's sermon. For more information about Life Point Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.